I'm going to wax philosophy. <laughs> you guys really knew what I felt about philosophy. You'd know that that ain't particularly true, but it may sound like that's what I'm doing today. Um, I was going through some stuff the other day and uh, was uh, looking for, going through some articles. Uh, Wells Track Publications has asked me to write some of to write articles for them, and so I've been turning in a lot of my old articles that I wrote in the past, and looking at some things, little snippets of things, because I, you know, whenever I travel for work, not to get off too far off subject, but whenever I travel for work, a lot of times when I'm going down the road, I get to thinking about things, scriptures, and thoughts about scriptures, and doctrine, and things like that, and so I'll, you know, I'll do a voice memo or I'll talk to text something in my, into my phone to remember what I was thinking about and then come back and maybe, you know, develop that out into a <coughs> coherent thought um, and maybe write an article or something like that. Uh, but anyway, I have little snippets of this and that and all that kind of stuff that I go, well, anyway, I was going through all these, looking at stuff about writing some articles and um the old articles that I had wrote. Well, I come across a uh, conversation and debate that I had a few years back, and uh, uh, primarily the uh, conversation was over um, how God has created man and what the purpose God created man for and everything. But in, in that conversation... The person that I was conversing with, uh, they said this statement here, and I printed it out so I didn't get it wrong. They said this statement, they said that God is love, and we are created in His image, therefore God created us and desires a reciprocal love relationship with mankind. So, <clears throat> and reading back through the the, the conversation and everything. The, the premise is, and as I thought about this, I thought, well, that was really my mindset whenever I believed uh, free will, whenever I believed Armenian thought and all like that before the Lord uh, showed me the truth of the gospel, that I thought, well, since God is love, and we are created in His image, therefore God has created us to love Him, and He wants that love relationship, but He doesn't want that love relationship to be a forced love relationship. So God gives man free will. So the basis of free will is God's love. The whole reason that God has given man free will is because God is love, and God wants us to in turn love Him with a true and genuine love back with our own will, with our own choice. He wants us to love Him. Because it really isn't love if you force somebody to love you, right? And so um, that whole mentality and, and that whole thought is that because God wants to have this love relationship with us, the only way that that love can be reciprocated is to give man free will to choose to love Him, and then to give Him a salvation that He can have the premises of love, 
I mean, God forbid we love God for who God is, not necessarily what God gives us, but what God is, who God is. But I digress, that's another thought. <clears throat> so the thought is, is so if God has given free choice or free will to all men so that they could in turn love him because that's what God desires, because God is love, then salvation must be free to all men and open to all men and upon all men because God wants that relationship with all mankind. That's why he created us, is to have this return love reciprocation. And so, therefore, the whole foundation of God is love, uh, and, and I mean, excuse me, that uh, free will exists is because God is love. And so I thought, got to thinking about that, and I thought, you know, that really, uh, there really is a lot to say about that statement. If God is love, and we know that the Bible says that, matter of fact, turn over, if you would, to 1 John chapter 4, and let's just read the scripture where it says this. Matter of fact, I'm going to, uh, 1 John chapter 4, and I'm going to back up to verse 6 and start reading at verse 6. It says, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. It doesn't just say that God loves, although the Bible does specifically say God loves. But it says that God is love. That he is by nature love. That's part of his nature. And therefore they say that since God is love, therefore he loves everyone. Because if God is love, then he has to love everybody. Well, we know that that's not what the scriptures teaches. God doesn't love everybody. And I know that may be new news to some that are listening or watching today. But I know for all of us, we know that's not true. Matter of fact, I believe Brother Larry has written a book called God Does Not Love Everybody. Is that the right title? Does not love everyone. But he does love his elect from everlasting to everlasting. Yeah, he's got one of those 1840 titles. (laughs) One of those old Baptist titles. 15 15 paragraphs long. It's just a title. (laughs) Anyway... Anyway, Brother Larry wrote a book about that also. Um, God does not love everybody, and the Bible is very clear that God does not love everybody. And, of course, we can talk about that maybe a little bit in what we're looking at here today. But that is the mentality that everybody has because that is what's being preached in all these so-called churches all across the world is they take this scripture right here, God is love, and they apply man's wisdom to it. And they say, well, if God is love, therefore God loves everyone. Because God can't go against his nature, which is love. 
So rooted in who God is is love, and that love that God has for everyone wants to be reciprocated through everyone, and to reciprocate that through everyone, they must be saved. And to be saved, that has to be offered to everybody. And if it's offered to everybody, then they have to have the free will to accept it, because if God didn't give them free will to accept that, then they couldn't in turn receive it and love God free. They wouldn't be free. It wouldn't be... It wouldn't be uh, uh, true, genuine love. And so, that's the mentality that men has, and they completely disregard what the Scripture's testimony about God is. They completely disregard the other parts of Scripture that talks about who God is, His nature in other areas, and they completely disregard what salvation is all about and how it was already accomplished and how it's applied. They are completely ignorant of the of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and just as a side note, that is exactly why we, not as looking at ourselves better as, than anybody else, or that we have uh, more superior knowledge than anybody else, or that you know we're an elite class or anything like that, whenever we say that those are false gospels and false churches, we say that because that is unbiblical. We say that because... Whenever you look at the Scripture to say that God loves everybody, that Jesus died for everybody, that everybody has a free will to accept Him because the Gospel offer is for everybody, and it has to be chosen by you or it isn't a true, genuine love for God, those things are not grounded in Scripture. Those are grounded in man philosophy and the religion Yes, religion, not, not true religion, not biblical religion, but religion of man, just like any other religion, Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, all these other isms that are out there, it's another religion that man has taken, and in this case, in the term of Christian religion, man has taken, and he's taken some of the surface of truth but he's applied that into his own understanding and brought God down into a fashion that they want and instead of the testimony that the Bible has of who God is and how He operates. And you think, well, where are we going with this? Well, <clears throat> my thought in this whole thing is, is, number one, it's completely off base. To say God is love, therefore God loves everybody, therefore free will has to exist so that that reciprocating love can be given back to him is off base because the Bible nowhere declares that that is what God's purpose is. It doesn't, it doesn't give testimony that that is how God is operating or what God wants. Matter of fact, I, I even Googled earlier before everybody got here, I Googled just the phrase, you know, God wants us to love Him. To see how much writing. You wouldn't believe all the writings that are out there of people that they say that God is wanting us to love Him. I even come across one link that took me to a, 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 an online Bible and it gave me 100 verses that say 
how God wants us to love Him. Wants our love. And I read down through a lot of those verses, and half those verses had nothing to do with God wanting us to love Him. It had to do with love. It had to do with statements of fact that, that, uh, that He has shed His love abroad in our heart, that, uh, he is, that, that we should love God and love each other. No, those things are here, but no, nowhere in there does it say that God wants us to love Him. Now, I'm not saying that that's not true, but I'm just saying there's nowhere that was in any of those scriptures and all the writings that I was watching all came from this premise that man is thinking that God wants us to love Him back. And that's God's desire, and that's why He created man. That's why He gave man free choice. And that's why salvation is for everyone, so that God can be freely loved by His creation. But brethren, listen, number one, we need to understand that God doesn't need anything. And what He does want, or as the Bible uses, as what He desires, He does. He gets. Whatever God desires, He gets. And I don't care, you, you can get into all your arguments about this, uh, permissive will and this secretive will and this, you know, all this kind of stuff. Revealed will thing stuff. The two wills of God and, and, you know, well, God desires this, but this is going on and, and, and everything like that. You can get into all those theological debates that you want. I'm just saying, if the Bible says that whatever God is pleased to do, whatever God desireth, that He does according to uh, His purpose and His will, and nobody can stay his hand, and that nobody can stop him. If the Bible says that in all clear terms, but then says, don't do this, and someone does that, and then God is angered at them, that is God's purpose that that would happen for a purpose. That doesn't mean that something happened against God's will, that something happened against God's plan and purpose. That ain't what that's talking about. So, that's, you know... That, that's just a cop-out. That's just, a, in my opinion, it's just someone who's trying to take some scriptures and jumble them all together and to make God into somebody that he's not whenever you're trying to say God has two wills and that we have a will and that our will is, is bent to this or that. or how. All those arguments, in my opinion, just it's kind of running in circles. Let the Bible speak and, and just say what the Bible says. God's will is the only will that is free. God is the only one who has complete control over all things, and God has not desired or purposed that all men be loved or all men be saved. But let's look a little bit more about how this concept of God's love being the foundation of free will. That because God is love, therefore we have to have free choice to love Him back. Uh, well, look at this scripture right here that we just read. It says... Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So this tells me right here, number one, that the only one that can love the brethren and therefore love God, matter of fact, if you look through Scripture, you'll find it pretty hard that whenever you love the brethren, that is you showing love for God. A lot of times we like to try to disconnect the two loves, the love for God and the love for brethren, so far that some can say, well, I definitely love God, but a lot of times I can't love my brethren. 
and everything. Well, they go hand in hand. Love for God and love for brethren are all one unit. Uh, and none of us can do that perfectly at all. Matter of fact, any love that we show, even in its imperfection, that we show for men or for God, only comes because of God's work in us anyhow. It's God working that love in us. It's not us trying to love or being loved or doing love or whatever. We can't exercise or exert love because we are flesh and we can't do anything that pleases God. So the only working of love is a God working love in us. So I would agree definitely what the scripture says in the aspect of this, that nobody can truly love God and the brethren unless God does it. It says, for love is of God. Love is of God, it's not of man. We have an affection, we have brotherly love, like, you know, I love my family, I love my friends, then I have a relationship love with my wife, I love my wife. You know, we have those types of loves, and even in those, those are imperfect also. But what it says here, it says love is of God. So that tells me that the source of love doesn't come from within myself, it comes from God. So even if we say that God is love and He gives us free will so that we can in turn return that love to Him, that love that is returned to Him doesn't come from us anyway. It comes from God. The love is God Himself working that love in us. Why? Because we won't love God. The Bible says that we are in enmity at, with God, that in this flesh, our carnal man, who we are in Adam, that we hate God. Just the opposite. So no man is going to love God unless God exerts His will upon us and causes us to love Him. So there never really truly is a free will reciprocating love back towards God. So the whole platform is, is just null and void because you don't know the Bible. You who said this, and you who still say this, you don't know the Scriptures. You're ignorant of God's Word. You need to be revealed. You need to be brought into light of what Scripture teaches. The whole premise is shot because no man can generate love, especially love that God requires, so to speak, requires. No man can generate that. The flesh cannot generate love. It can't. It's an inability. The natural state of man is hatred towards God. And I know some people say, well, I don't agree with that because even before I was saved, I didn't hate God. I just had indifference to Him. I didn't know about Him. I didn't hate Him. No, 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 no. That's because you don't understand hate. You don't understand hate. If you don't love God, then you hate God. If you don't, if you don't see God, the Bible said you cannot serve two masters. You either love one and hate the other, or hate one and love the other, right? So even God Himself puts it in black and white, concrete terms like that. So it's not just the preacher trying to make his point here. Even God says that. I can't serve two masters. 
I'm either going to love one, and whenever I say love, it's not this ooey-gooey, oh, the 25,000 stanza worship songs that everybody sits up there with their arms raised and we're just going to, with the praise team, just going to sing all day and everything. The ooey-gooey feelings that we get whenever the mood lighting hits and the songs hit and the preacher comes out and he hits and, you know, all this stuff. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a love that is a reverential servitude to God for who He is as revealed in here. I love the God that is found in here. And the God that is found in here doesn't speak highly of who I am as a natural man. Who the God is in here doesn't say you have such a good free will and you can do with it whatever you want. I, in my sovereignty, I give you choice. No. The God that I love has restricted my will. The God that's in Scripture says He doesn't love everybody and that He does hate some. The God of Scripture... Now how in the world did I come to love that God? Because it's so antithetical. It is so against, opposed, and crushingly wrathful against who I am. How did I come to do that? Because God exerted His will over my will. See, brethren, if you think that God cannot trample a man's will, and I posted this earlier this week, that, you know, some, uh, Adrian Rogers and, and, and uh, Billy Graham used to always say this. They, they used to say that God is a gentleman. He would never, uh, he would never override your will, you know. That that's some. In matter of fact, uh, Billy Graham actually said it. He said that is something that God cannot do. And then I posted a little meme about uh, Nebuchadnezzar down on his face or on his feet and hands eating grass. You know how God made Nebuchadnezzar eat grass like a like a wild beast. Uh, you know we don't have free will, and yes, God does trample your will, our will. But let's think about the mentality of this. God's love is the foundation of free will. Free will is the foundation of loving God. And God loves everyone, therefore everyone has free will, so salvation then is for everyone. That's what that's what the modern and am I, is that kind of what the modern notion is? At least that's how I used to preach it. Now, I can't speak for all Armenians out there, but I'll speak for this uh used to be Armenian. That's how I, I and believe that's what I heard growing up. I still hear that among people that I know that are Armenian. <clears throat> so God wants us to return this love. But then they go even further and they say this, God's love also is the root and the foundation, not only for free will, not only for the salvation of all men, because... They have to, it has to be covered for all if God wants all to love Him. Then therefore, everybody has to be given the chance, so the salvation must cover all. So then if everybody is given free will, that also covers God's justice. Because man has to be responsible and accountable whenever he rejects or accepts God's love. So God has... 
loved us. And how did He show that He loved us? By sending His Son, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him. There it is. There's the free will that God gave us so that we can reciprocate the love back to Him that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. There you go. There's the gospel offer. Whosoever will believes in Him. But brethren, that, that is not an invitation. That whosoever will is not an invitation. Uh, another thing that I wrote a while back, it, same thing. Whenever Jesus said, whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust, is that as much an invitation to look on a woman to lust? No. Well, then whosoever believes is not an invitation to believe. It's a statement of fact. Whosoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a statement of fact. The believing ones will not perish. Who are the ones that Jesus died for? The believing ones. Did He die for them because they believed on Him? No. He died for them and they believed because He died for them. Whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust is not an invitation to come and lust after these women. He's just saying, whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust has committed adultery in his heart. Who is the one committed in adultery in his heart? The one who looked upon the woman to lust. You see, there is no free will. And God's love is not the foundation for universal salvation. <clears throat> But see, they say, well, then man doesn't have responsibility. God, because He is love, has to give everybody a free will. Otherwise, they can't accept Him or reject Him. And if they can't accept Him and reject Him, then they're not responsible. Therefore, they have, can't be judged. So if God is going to be judged, and we know the Bible says that God's going to judge everybody at the end, then there has to be free will. So now God's love is the foundation for righteous judgment for those who accept and reject Jesus Christ. So see, they've taken this one little phrase, God is love, and they've applied all this wisdom of man and made God into this person who has to step in line with their philosophy. God, you can't, you can't pick and choose. You have to choose everybody. You have to give everybody love. You have to give everybody salvation. And you have to give everybody free will. Otherwise, then they're not doing it on their own. If they're not doing it on their own, then they don't have responsibility and accountability. And we all know Calvinists like to preach responsibility and accountability. They like, I think Calvinists like to preach that more than Arminians do. <laughs> to be honest with you. All y'all that's out there know what I'm talking about. And no, we're not Calvinists here. <clears throat> so God has laid out this purpose and plan. And what is at the foundation of all of it? What is at the foundation of all of this? It's man's free will. If man doesn't have free will, then there can't be love. If man doesn't have free will there can't be salvation. If man doesn't have free will, then there can't be responsibility and accountability. <clears throat> so you see, <laughs> everything is about free will. It comes down to free will. 
It's not about God. It's not about God's purpose. It's not about Christ and the salvation that He has uh, accomplished. It's not about the, the Holy Spirit of God working out the whole thing that Jesus did for us and bringing us to God, bringing us to an understanding of Him, giving us life. It's not about that. It's about you having a choice so that you can be responsible, so that you can be accountable. And that's because God is love. God's love. Well, let me post something to you in the on the other side of the coin then. This is where I guess we could say we're going to wax philosophical a little bit. If God is love, and therefore that is the premise and the foundation for free will to exist, and God, because He is love, is then required to love every one of His creatures. And I believe that's what I hear from Armenians, that's what I used to preach as an Armenian, is that because God is love, He does love everybody and has to love all of His creatures. What about Satan? Does God love Satan? Does God love all the fallen angels that followed after Satan? I'm not trying to be facetious here and I'm not trying to be funny here. I'm truly asking a question and I'm wanting you to think about this. This is what whenever the Bible says <clears throat> rightly dividing the word of God, that means whenever these statements are made that we think upon them, not only in their context but the overall context of the scripture and the doctrines that are being preached within the scriptures. And so whenever we think about these things, we don't just think about them at the surface level. We think about the implications of what we are saying when we say these things, that God is love, therefore we have to have free will because we can't reciprocate God. So you're saying that God is love and has to love everybody. Because of that statement, God is love. God has to love everybody. Well, what about Satan? Does God have to love Satan? Does he love Satan? Then if he does love Satan, does God want Satan to be saved too? And all his fallen angels? Does God want them to have this reciprocating love relationship like he does with the rest of mankind that he gives her free will? Do you even believe Satan had a free will? Well, I know most Arminians and even most sovereign grace people say yes. They think Adam had a free will. They think that Satan had a free will. And both of them, before they ever sinned, chose to sin because they had a free will. Not because that their nature was made in such a way that they would sin, but they had free will. We don't want to transgress man's free will. So by all means, we're not going to say that they were sinner by nature. We're going to say that they are free will to choose so they're responsible and held accountable. Now that, my friend, is me speaking in sarcasm and being a little facetious. Because it's dumb. It's not Scripture. <clears throat> what about Satan? If God is love, 
and you're predicating the reciprocating love thing based upon man's free will, then Satan should be also loved. And that Satan should also be desired to be saved by God. But is there any one scripture that you can present to me to say that God has any love for Satan? Or his fallen angels? Or any desire for them to be saved? I can't find any there. Matter of fact, I find all through Scripture that Satan has his intended doom. God's predestinated judgment upon Satan is already there. I mean, it tells us that hell, the lake of fire, was made for Satan and his angels. That he was going to cast them there. Now, <laughs> Obviously, we know that if the Bible says that, that's what's going to happen. God can't lie. God's Word tells us that that's what's going to be the final fate of Satan and his angels. And then all those who are wicked are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. So we know that's the destined end of everybody. We can't change that course unless we rip out our Bibles or we say that God lied or something happened that didn't. You know, whoa, wait a minute. Something changed. That was written way back then, but something happened since then, so now we got to add another chapter to Revelation, to the rest of Scripture. No, it's going to happen, right? And you know what? Not one person, I don't think not one person, maybe Unitarians, but not one person, I don't think, sits around contemplating and is heavy-hearted and burdened I wonder about old Satan. I wish he would accept the Lord Jesus as his Lord and Savior. If only he would manifest himself to me, I would preach the gospel to him. I know that God's grace is greater than even his sin and he can overcome. Well, I do know one person, uh, Carlton Pearson. He believed that. Carlton Pearson believed that even Satan uh, could have been saved. Now, a lot of people are probably saying, you're getting a little foolish here. Preacher, but I really want us to think about this. God's love is His nature. And therefore, because it's His nature, He is bound or beholden to love everyone. The fallen angels made a choice, and in that choice was judged and now are going to suffer consequences because of that choice. Therefore, they must have had free will. Then they have the ability to reciprocate love. So why doesn't God love them? Why isn't God beholden to love them as He loved us? See, this is what, where I'm going. This is why I'm telling you to think about these things. Because what we say and how we use these little phrases to make these man philosophy, irregardless of what the rest of scriptures might say, has implications. See, if we say that God is love and therefore is bound to love everybody, and therefore everyone has to have free choice so they can reciprocate that love, then that has to be extended 
to Satan and those fallen angels as well. So that means that God does love them and that since God loves them, for God so loved that he gave his only begotten son, therefore salvation is open to Satan and his angels. Now you see what kind of a predicament we've got God into with your man-made philosophies and wisdom? You've now got God on the hook for saving Satan who he's already told is not going to be saved. What are you going to do now? But again, as I said, we're going to look at the other side of the coin here. Turn with me if you would to Nahum. That's in the Old Testament. If you reach Habakkuk, back up one. You see Micah keep trucking. It's only a couple pages long in my Bible, so you might pass it quickly. But go to Nahum, chapter 1. I want to read something to you. We just read in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. But let me read you something else here. In Nahum, chapter 1, look at verse 2. It said, says, God is jealous. Now, let me just say something before I go even further. This word jealous, when it's used in the Old Testament, when it speaks about God, doesn't mean that God wishes that he had something that somebody else has. How we get jealous, you know. You know, if some guy was talking to my wife, and I get jealous, I get over there and get in his face. Now, when the Bible says that God is a jealous God, God mean, that means that God is a angry God. That God is a fearful God. Not one to be reckoned with. Easily angered. Okay? And that's what jealousy, like if a man goes and begins to speak to my wife, that jealousy is not just wishing I had what he has. It's anger that you don't be pulling up to my wife. You know, who do you think you are? That's what that kind of jealousy is. And the Bible here is not saying that God just wishes he had something that he didn't have. No, it's he is angered that he is not getting what is his. What is his is reverence and worship and honor and glory. That is his by right. It says, God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth, the Lord revengeth, and here it is, and is furious. So basically it's saying God is furious. Now I looked at that word furious, in our King James Bible it's translated furious here, but the Hebrew word that's behind that, 34 times in the Old Testament is translated wrath. And the word actually means one who holds wrath. This word furious here means one who holds wrath. Someone who is wrathful. So it says here that God is wrath. So here we have a, a, a passage of scripture that equally says, like God says, it says God is love. Here we have one that says that God is wrath. Now let's apply 
the philosophical conundrum <laughs> that we just talked about to this side of the coin. If God is wrath, and that is His nature, now some will say that's not God's nature because God can't have a wrathful nature because He's love. You can't have the nature of love and wrath, but yet the Bible says that. I'm going to believe it over you. I'm sorry. But I'm going to believe God over man. It says that He is wrath. And if it says that He is wrath, then that means He is the embodiment of wrath, and therefore wrath comes from Him because He is wrath. Just like love comes from Him because He is love, it's His nature. So God has nature of wrath. So if God is wrath, like God is love, therefore God is bound and beholden to give wrath to everybody? Well, now you say that about love. God is bound... Because He is loved, to love everybody, is God bound to give wrath to everybody then? And then to extend eternal death to everybody? <laughs> Where in God's love, we learn that because God loves us, He gives us eternal life. But if God is wrathful, then God must give us eternal death. So is that eternal death spread to everybody just like His love is? Is that eternal death something that God offers then to everybody and by free will they have to choose it themselves? Because He wants everybody to have the choice. Are you going to get wrath or are you going to get love? But is God beholden to be wrathful on everybody? Well, everybody will say, well, no, no. No, God's not beholden to be wrathful on everybody. Well, certainly everybody deserves God's wrath, but God is not beholden to give wrath to everybody. But He is love, so He is beholden to give love. You see the inconsistency of the argument there? If God is not beholden to love everybody, or excuse me, if God is not beholden to give wrath to everybody when God is wrath, then wouldn't it also be to say that God is not beholden to give love to everybody even though God is love? Now see, everything that we've talked about from here back is based upon unbiblical principles. That whole philosophy thing comes because we don't know our Bible. But let's, let's look at the more, in my opinion, the more logical thing. But I know that the Bible isn't about logic. It isn't about wisdom of gaining knowledge. It's about enlightened knowledge that comes from God alone. The Spirit of God teaches us and gives us true knowledge, true wisdom that comes from God to know what these things are actually talking about. If God is love and therefore is beholden to love everybody, and if God is wrath, therefore He must be beholden to give wrath to everybody. However, that doesn't work, and we clearly know the Bible that God doesn't give wrath to everybody, and He doesn't give love to everybody, then there must be something else going on here that somehow all of our philosophies and theologians have missed. Well, they've missed the one thing that is very clear and evident in Scripture. Look with me at Romans chapter 9. Verse 18. 
or excuse me, verse starting verse 15. I guess the question should be asking 14 before we go to 15, but because whenever I say that, that God is not beholden to love everybody and God is not beholden to give wrath to everybody, someone's going to say, well then is there unrighteousness in God? Isn't it unrighteous for God to not love everybody since God is love? Well, is it unrighteous for God to not give wrath on everybody since God is wrath? So if He doesn't give wrath on everybody, is God unrighteous? No. Then what causes God to be righteous to say, I love these people and I don't love these people? That I show mercy upon these people and I hate these people? What causes God to be just? There was a man who took both, the love and the wrath. God's love was shown in the shedding of the blood of His Son, and in doing so, God's wrath was, was finished up. God's love was shown. In one man, love and wrath was displayed, and who God is in His fullness. The reason that God can say, I love these, is because Jesus Christ became wrath for these people. The reason God can say, I have wrath upon these is because Jesus Christ did not take their wrath. And therefore God is just to give wrath to these people. Love to these, why? Because of a substitute. Wrath to these, why? There was no substitute. Is God unjust in doing that? No. Why? For He saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth. See, your will has nothing to do with your love. It has nothing to do with your salvation. It has nothing to do with anything that has to do with the reciprocation of, of relationship with God. Your will is not accounted for anything. Your will is governed by a sovereign God whose will is the only will that is free. And yet we rise up and we put our fists and our face in God's face and say we have free will, we will be as God. We think that we can control our destinies, we think that we can control our lives, we think we can control God. And God says, I am who I am. There is none beside me. There is no other God. To be God means to have your own will. To be God is to say that I control destiny. I control everything. And there is no one else that can say that. God has not in His sovereignty given you anything. God in His sovereignty has not allowed you to pick and choose your destiny, to pick and choose your love. He has not given within you to try to live the law and to love Him. No, He's done everything. He's done everything. He's chosen your destiny before the foundation of the world. He has sent His Son to be your substitute by walking in your place, obeying His law on your behalf, he took on your wrath that was yours to be taken because of your sin. And therefore, He was your substitute in death and He is your substitute in life. He was raised from the dead for your justification. But even more than that, He is also your faith. He is also your repentance. He is also your longevity in, in, in persevering. 
If Christ is not in you, willing and working His good pleasure, then you're just in your sin, Adam, doing everything that is natural to man, which is in the Bible is not of faith, it's sin. You can't get off the hook for anything. Your will has absolutely nothing to do with everything. And so God says, It is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Verse 18, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will harden, he hardeneth. Thou wilt say unto me, Why does he yet find fault? There it is. What about responsibility and accountability? We're going to be able to go before God and say, God, you're sovereign and you predestined everything. You made me a goat. I couldn't help but being a goat. So how can you throw me off into the pits of hell whenever you're the one who made me this way? You're going to judge me for what I did whenever I couldn't help it because your will overrides my will. That's what it says there. That's the argument that Paul's bringing up that we as Adam want to say into God's face just like Adam did when he said, there's the woman that you give me, it's her fault. God says, who hath resisted his will? Who hath resisted his will? That's the argument. And it says, Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? What does Paul mean by that? He's meaning exactly what he's about to say. The potter has the right to make of the clay any pot that he wants and how he wants. It isn't about responsibility and accountability no matter how much these sovereign grace preachers are out there telling you that you have a responsibility. To have a responsibility precludes the fact that we have an ability that has been given to us. If someone has a responsibility, that means that God has entrusted to you something for you to carry out and to enact Has God given to you anything that has to do with your salvation? Whether it be justification, sanctification, glorification, has God given you anything to do in that regards? So how can you have responsibility? I know those are words that people like to tread light on. I don't know. That just... It just sounds so biblical that we have to have responsibility. That's because it's been shoved down our throats for so long. It's because that the people out here are thinking that we can establish our own righteousness before God and God's going to say, well done my good and faithful servant. Christ is the only good and faithful servant. Christ is the only one that has accomplished all that God has required. And he has either substituted that for you or he has not. It is not of him that willeth. So to be responsible means that I have a free will. To be responsible means that God has entrusted me to do something and God is not. To respond to something that is to be given to me for, for, for uh, uh, accomplishment... I can't respond because the Bible says I can't do anything spiritual unless God Himself is working in me as the Spirit of God. So apart from the Spirit of God doing the work, I cannot respond to what God tells me to do. So 
So then where's the accountability? Well, I will say this. God will hold all people accountable. The Bible is clear about that. But it's not predicated upon your thought of justice. It's not predicated upon your thought of judgment. God will hold accountable everyone. The pots that He made to be dirty, He will hold them accountable as dirty pots. Those that He made to be clean pots, He will hold them accountable as clean pots. Not because they were clean in and of themselves, but because they had someone that washed them up. Shall the thing form say to that which formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump, of the same lump, of the same lump, the same lump? That means Adam is the same as us. We are the same as Adam. But out of that same lump. And by the way, he didn't make Adam one lump and then change him into another lump after he sinned. No, he's the same lump. We're just like him. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath, willing to show his wrath, why? Because God is wrath. And to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath, fitted to destruction. That means God made some vessels for wrath, and he fit them for that destruction. He made them in such a way that they would be who they are. Their will is not going to get them out of that. Salvation has not been extended to them. Christ's death did not apply to them. God is not looking for a reciprocating love from them. God didn't make them this way and then say, oh, I'm going to watch and see, I hope they love me. God is of one mind and who can turn Him? He's not a double-minded man saying, I'm going to make this man where he's going to be condemned as a fitted vessel of destruction and then sit up there hoping that He looks to Him for salvation. This is the degraded God that we are preaching in, pre in churches all over the place today. And that's not the God of Scripture. <clears throat> he says that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy which He hath afore prepared unto glory. So if God chooses, He can give mercy to one and not the other. So there, that right there... <laughs> They're hated verses. Matter of fact, I look down a lot of times in commentators and one of the first times I get their commentary series or something, I immediately go to Romans 9 and see, do they cover Romans 9 in their commentary? Most of the time, guys skip it. Most of the time, they talk about it as a, as a uh, national thing. That God has uh, chosen nations and not people, individuals. But brethren... <clears throat> God has mercy on whom He has mercy. And whenever He doesn't have mercy, <coughs> He has wrath. Now that right there clears up the conundrum. Can God be love and not 
show love? Yes. Can God be love and God hate? Yes. Can God be wrathful and love? Yes. It's, it's not an either or. Why? Because God is who He is. Because God is who He is. If God chooses who He gives mercy to and who He doesn't, that completely eradicates the notion of free will then, doesn't it? So the phrase that we began with at the very beginning is completely and totally null and void by the overall context of Scripture. Now there was a lot of Scriptures I could have went to to dispel even more of this. But I think just in enough of what we've seen here that the fact that God is love and God is wrath and the fact that God has the ability to choose some for wrath and some for love shows us that it can't be a free will reciprocating thing. Now let me say this. Whenever I love God, does that truly come from within me? Of course it does. It comes from God in me. Is it a genuine love? I hope it to be. I hope it to be genuine love. If it is genuine love, it isn't coming from me. It's coming from God. But brother, let me say that my free will isn't the one that's causing it. God isn't waiting for me to respond back to Him in love so that we can have this reciprocating relationship. No, God has chosen to give relationship to me and then He has enabled me to have a relationship with Him. Any relationship that I have with God is purely because God has enabled that relationship to happen. Because by nature, that relationship would never happen. We would continue to be children of wrath, even as others. Meaning that we would be children that is wrathful towards God, hateful towards God, angry towards God, enmity towards God, against God. It is only because God has taken and removed that heart of flesh or stone and put in a heart of flesh. It is only because God has overridden my will and given me the Spirit of God in me that now has the love of God shed abroad in my heart that I do love God for who He is in here. Do I love the God that says I will choose one and not another? Yes. The God that I once hated, I now love. Why? Because that's who He is. Does God genuinely love? Yes, He does. God truly does love, but God loves those who He has given to Christ. So, the fact that God chooses who He will give mercy to and who He will not give mercy to that then eradicates the free will position. Now, look with me at John chapter 6 and verse 44. And how does it happen? If there is no free will, how does it happen? John 6 and verse 44 Jesus said this, No man can come to Me except, <coughs> except 
No man can come to me except... This is talking about our natural state. No man can come to God. Why? Because it's not within his nature to do so. He doesn't want to. That's why I'm saying it can't be a free will reciprocating thing because there is nothing in our part that reciprocates unless God gives us life. Unless God saves us. We will never seek Him. We will never want Him. We will never desire Him. God has to do the willing and the choosing and the picking and the deciding and the enabling and the working. Why? Because in our flesh we can't do it. It's an inability. This here, <coughs> this verse so often, they look at us sovereign grace people and they say that this is a, that we're saying that this verse here is God being the ogre saying that there's people that's wanting to come to God. God said, nope, you can't come except I draw you first. Like they're trying to pile in to be with God. No, that's not what that's saying. This Jesus is saying this is an ability issue. This is talking about your ability. You don't have the ability to come. Your desire. You don't have the will to come. You don't have the desire to come. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. So we have to be drawn or brought by God to Him. Why? Because our nature won't do it. There is no reciprocating. There is no love. There is no desire. So God has to do that. But let me tell you, where did that drawing come from? <coughs> now here's where it says, God is love. And we believe that God is love. And we do preach God's love. We just preach it biblically. God is love, but He isn't love to everybody. That's the truth of Scripture. And, 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 and the, I wanted to say as soon as you get that under your belt and believe it, but as soon as God reveals that to you, you'll understand that God is love. And God has shown great love by saving men. But God is not forced to do that to every man. But turn with me if you would, and the last Scripture we'll look at here is in Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. <clears throat> the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, now let's just stop there, and I'm going <coughs> to mention something before I get to the therefore. He has loved us with an everlasting love. That meant God was loving us when there was no reciprocation. God loves us when there is no reciprocation. He loved us when we were yet sinners, the Bible says. And while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. The preacher says, why we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not that He loved us. No, if you take the whole of Scripture, we find out the reason Christ died for us is because God loved us. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that Christ would die for you. That's what that's saying. God exemplified or showed His love by Christ dying for us. By God saving us through the death of Christ. That's God showing His love to us. No greater love hath any man than he lay down his life for his friends. Christ was showing God's love by dying for us. And the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ showed that love. He died for us whenever we were hating Him, rejecting Him, against Him. There was no reciprocating of love. God loved us. So yes, we believe in God's true, genuine love for His people. But it is for His people. It's not for everyone. It's for those that He has chosen. I don't know why He chose me. I don't know why He chose anybody else. The only, thing, the only Scripture that we have of why God chooses one and not the other is because it is by the pleasure of His will. That's the only thing in Bible that tells us that, that it is by His will that He did so. It isn't because we did anything good or bad. Romans 9 told us that too, that the purpose of God according to election is not because anyone did anything good or bad. God didn't choose to save me because I was good, and God did not elect someone else because they were bad. It isn't because we were good or bad that God elected before anything to make one a vessel of honor and one a vessel of dishonor. The reason they do sin and then they are accountable for that sin and they are that vessel of dishonor is because God chose them to be that and He didn't choose them to be that because He looked down and seen that they wouldn't accept Him. No, He chose them because He chose them to be that. Why did He choose that tree to be an oak tree and not a cherry tree? Because He chose it to be an oak tree. Why? Because it didn't produce cherries and it produces acorns? No. He chose it to be an oak tree to produce acorns, and He chose that to be a cherry tree to produce cherries. He chose one to be a vessel of dishonor to produce dishonorable things. And to be dishonorable, He chose the other to be a vessel of honor to bring forth His glory. <clears throat> but it says here that He has loved us with an everlasting love. Therefore, because God has loved us with an everlasting love, there is an effect. There is an effect to God's love. With loving kindness have I drawn them. So the answer to John 6.44 is, who is it then that come, who is it then that, that are drawn by the Father? Those that have been given to Christ, we learn that in John 6.44. John 6 tells us, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Right? But here we learn that all that come or all that are drawn by God are not everybody. The ones that God has loved. The ones that God has loved. So here we go. If God is love, is He beholden to love everybody? No. Why? Because God can show have mercy on whom He will have mercy. And those that He gives mercy to, He draws. Why? Because those are the ones that He loves. 
The ones that He loves are the ones that He draws. The ones that He doesn't love are the ones that never get drawn. And that's why we find in Malachi, God said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. He despised and cut low everything about Esau. Jacob have I loved, therefore since I have loved Jacob, Jacob will be the chosen, and Esau will not. Well, Esau was the oldest. He was the one that came out of the womb first. He was the one that was supposed to get the birthright. By man's will, Esau should have been the one. But God's will overrode that and said, no, no, no. Esau will not receive the birthright, physical things, but also Esau will not receive the spiritual things either. Jacob will. Now, Jacob was just as bad as Esau. Jacob was a surplanter. Okay? Jacob had his faults. It wasn't whether they did any good or bad. God chose Jacob and not Esau. God chose me and maybe not somebody, someone else if I'd be his. <coughs> That's how God works. It's according to His will. And because He has loved us with an everlasting love, He draws us. Those that He draws are the ones that He enables to love Him. We love Him because He what? First loved us. So God's love is not the foundation for free will. But God is love is the exaltation of God's sovereignty. And so let us worship God as He is and quit trying to lay at the altar man's free will and worship it. Alright, has anybody got anything that you'd like to add or any comment? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Huh? So much preaching out there that is teaching that God loves us all and God is beholden to save everybody. But that's not the God of the Bible and that is why we say that. Brethren, it's not we're saying it out of Again, that we're better than anybody else or we're saying that out of an elitism or we're saying that just because we like to hate on people. Whenever we say, that's a false gospel. Those are false gospel preachers. Those are false gospel churches. Those are true churches. We're not saying that ours is the only one that is. Thankfully, the Lord has His churches all over the place. They're not very big. They're not very many, but He does still have them all over the world. And those people love the God that is found here. Not the one that is taken a little bit here and then made into this philosophical conundrum Jesus. <coughs> but the one who truly is who He is. Do we love God for who He is revealed as or who we think He should be? So may we always be given to love the God of the Scriptures. Alright. Again, anybody got any questions or comments, corrections or rebukes or anything? Anything to add to that, brother? He says, get my book. You'll find out. <laughs> it is a good book, by the way. Alright. Well, let's bow and have a word of prayer. As we pray, we again, we'll thank everybody. I didn't 
say that when we came on. Thank everybody for our prayers this week. While we were sick and everything, we're back uh, all feeling better now. But uh, also want everybody listening. We have a fellow that comes here. His name is Daniel. I want y'all to remember him in your prayers. His mother passed away this week, and remember him and his family in your prayers, if you would. <clears throat> Let's go to the prayer, brother. Uh, would you like to dismiss us this morning? Father, we thank you for this grand and glorious message we've heard this morning. We ask that you would apply it to our hearts and that we would propagate that every day in our word, thought, and deed, and actions, we pray. We thank you for the grace of God and it's a gift. It's not any merit in the preacher. For with us now, we pray, be with Daniel now in a special way this week. Give him your grace you to go with us. Thank you for your being with the Smith family and bringing them back to their health. Can you to go with us, we pray now, and we ask this in Christ's name for your glory alone. Amen.